Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today, on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on Eddie Van Halen. Edward Ludwig Van Halen, born January 26, 1955, in Amsterdam, Netherlands. He died October 6, 2020, in Santa Monica, California, of tongue and throat cancer. He was a musician, a songwriter, an arranger, a producer, an actor, a brother, a bandmate, a father, an inventor, and an entrepreneur. In 1972, he and his brother decided to start a band called Van Halen. What occurred after that was an explosion of rock and roll, which would shape the way that music is done and played for generations to come. His energy, his showmanship, and his ability to play can be duplicated by some, but surpassed by none. But who is Eddie Van Halen's influences? How did he change the way that music is played today? What on earth is a Frankenstrad? Will he still be shaping the future of music? Why did he name his son and his guitar Wolfgang? And what do we do now that he's gone? Well, we will discuss this and more on this episode of The Tweet Couch. Well, first I would like to say that this episode is not about me. This episode is about Eddie Van Halen. But I do want to explain the reason why I have not had an episode come out in the last few weeks. It is largely because I teach science in a high school. Now, in teaching right now in 2020, it is quite difficult. And because of that, I do not have time to do what is one of my greatest joys, which is a therapy session with you. So why is that all of a sudden change? Well, when someone like Eddie Van Halen is no longer on this earth to give us music, I feel like it is appropriate for us to pay tribute to such an icon. Now, I remember seeing Van Halen live. It was 1998, and Gary Sharon was actually playing with him. I know, some of you are like, oh, gross, you know? It should be David Lee Roth, or it should be Sammy Hagar, but you know what? In 1998, I graduated high school, and my brother Paul decided the best graduation gift he could give me was tickets. To Van Halen. So we sat in the lawn and we watched what was quite possibly one of my favorite shows ever. Gary Sharon was all over the place. He actually, I thought, did a great job. Now, the music, as far as the new album, I didn't necessarily love, but when he sang the other stuff, like Panama and Jump, man, it sounded good. And a lot of it ha- is a credit to Van Halen, the band. They were tight. They were at the top of their game. They were ready for this new blood of Gary Sharon. Unfortunately, he didn't last a year. In 1999, he went away. But we don't need to talk about my one experience of seeing Van Halen live. Let's talk about Eddie. I mean, after all, He's probably one of the greatest American guitar icons, yet he was Dutch. In 1955, he was born in Amsterdam, Netherlands, 
But seven years later, his parents actually moved to Pasadena, California in 1962, where he and his brother Alex became naturalized citizens, which is basically a fancy way of saying that they met the requirements of Congress to become U.S. citizens. Now, his parents, they were really big fans of classical pianists. Like, they really liked Bach. They really liked Mozart. And because of this, both kids, Alex and Eddie, had to learn how to play piano. Now, Eddie has said a number of times that he never learned to read music. Instead, what he would do is he would watch what the piano teacher was doing and then would mimic it, or he would listen to what the record was playing, and then he would mimic it. And actually, he ended up winning first prize a number of times as a pianist. Now, fortunate for us, but unfortunate for classical music, Eddie had a heart for rock and roll. And interestingly enough, he started off as a drummer, and his brother started off as a guitar player. Frustrated with the drums, Eddie ended up picking up his brother's guitar, and his brother ended up picking up drums. And that started off an excellent marriage, the right chemistry to make Van Halen. But of course, they weren't Van Halen yet. They were just two brothers playing together. And so they needed some other guys, so they gathered some other guys, and they made the band The Broken Combs. Yeah, like what you comb your hair with. Yeah, so these Broken Combs, they used to play a steady gig. Yeah, they got to play at lunchtime in their elementary school. But, like most great bands, eventually, they broke up. But you know what? All things must lead to the next. And eventually, of course, they would find the right people to make Van Halen. Now, you might be wondering, how did Eddie Van Halen become this rock icon? How is it that his fingers are able to move like they do? How is it that he is able to just have so much energy? How is it that he is able to have this guitar slung over his shoulder walking around and running around and be able to produce the solos that he does. Well, a lot of it is practice. Some of it's natural ability, but most of it, honestly, is practice. He remembers as a teen, he would just walk around the house for hours playing guitar strapped over his shoulder or sitting in his room locked away. He would listen to Eric Clapton. Cream. He would listen to Jimi Hendrix. He would listen to Jimmy Page. And all of these people influenced a new rock icon who would now influence the future of metal and rock and roll. Steve Vai would not be what he is without the help of Eddie Van Halen. Satriani would not be who he is without the help of Eddie Van Halen. He has changed American music. Honestly, he's changed world music forever. Let's just look at his equipment. All right, so guitars aside, let's put the Wolfgang aside, let's go ahead and put the Frankenstrat aside, and let's just talk about his amplifier. I mean, this man, he created, on his own, the Brown Sound. Now, some of you may have heard this for the first time right now, and some of you may have wondered where this came from. 
Well, this actually came from Eddie. Eddie was listening to his brother Alex's snare drum, and he loved the way it sounded. He felt like it sounded like he was just beating a log. He referred to it as being warm and big and majestic. And he went, I want my amp to sound like that. I want it to sound brown, which is really just a fancy way of saying, I want it to be big, distorted, and warm all at the same time. And that is what he was able to create. He took his Marshall Plexi amplifier and just turned it all to 10. Now, you might think, well, this is easy then. I'll take a humbucker, I'll take a Plexi amp, turn it all to 10, and go. But keep in mind, there are a couple of things that are going to hold you back. Number one is a Marshall Plexi 100-watt amplifier turned to 10 will blow the roof off of your house. He loved his amps loud, and he loved it big sounding. And so, one of the ways that he helped to bring down his volume, he used a special Variac, which allowed the wall voltage to decrease going to the amp. Unfortunately, this is still too loud for most people. But when you're playing arenas, who cares? But people wanted this sound. People wanted that big, large, martial push to the end, warm, brown sound. And the person we have to thank for it is Eddie Van Halen. Now, there was a lot of people in the 80s who were trying to make this sound happen. And a lot of people, what they would go to is something called rack gear. They would take some sort of a power amp and they would put some sort of a preamp with it and then put a compressor on it and you could get a pretty decent sounding brown sound out of these different types of options. But ultimately, it wasn't the same. Now you fast forward and you have Line 6 making all these different types of modelers trying to get that brown sound and honestly failed miserably. Then you move forward a little bit more and what you'll find is you'll end up finding things like Kemper. Kemper does a really good brown sound. And actually, Line 6 with the Helix makes some pretty good brown sound. Now, if an amplifier is what you want, but volume is what you're trying to tame, more recently, Boss came out with a Waza amp that makes a pretty darn good brown sound. So there's a lot of different manufacturers out there that are doing a pretty decent job now. But in the 80s, you didn't have a whole lot. So that's when all of a sudden we started seeing stomp boxes and people would say, I need a Marshall in a box. And the idea was to get a stomp box that did a wonderful marriage with your amplifier to get this Van Halen brown sound. But I'm going to be honest with you. You can try all you want with stomp boxes, modeling gear, and amplifiers. But unless you got the chops, you're not going to make it sound that way. Now, it's probably time that we talk about the guitar, the thing that he is probably the most known for, which is a guitar that he pieced together. He's actually been known to say that he tore apart hundreds of excellent guitars to try and make this one guitar, because after all, he is a tone chaser. And so as he went looking for the right parts, trying to find things, his main motivation was budget. I mean, we're talking about a guy 
who is quite possibly the greatest icon of guitar in my lifetime, and he's concerned with budget? But keep in mind, this is 1974. In 1972, Van Halen starts. They come up with an album, and it's 1978, and what's on this? But running with the devil, ain't talking about love, Jamie's crying, you really got me, eruption. I mean, all of these iconic solos are about to happen on a guy who is concerned about budget with his guitar. It's amazing. He spent $50 and bought a body. The body was in a box of factory seconds. And then he bought a neck for $80. So for $50, he got a body. For $80, he had a neck. He puts them together and starts piecing together what we refer to as the Frankenstrat. Now, of course, he needed to paint the thing because he didn't want it just to be bare wood. So he put masking tape down. Well, first, he painted the thing black, then put down masking tape, and then painted it white. And now what do you have? You have a black and white striped guitar unlike anything you have ever seen. Now, I understand that some of you are going to say, well, hold on. That guitar is actually red, black, and white. And what I'm going to tell you is, it's the same guitar. He just continued to paint it here and there. Of course, some of you will say, I remember when that guitar was black and yellow. But that's actually a different guitar. In 1979, he took the Frankenstrat and put it off to the side and said, I want to do something different. So he tasks Wayne Charvel to make him a beautiful guitar. And beautiful it was. Eddie loved the looks. He loved this black body with yellow stripes on it. He loved the maple neck and the maple fretboard. He really enjoyed that chrome volume knob and that Mighty Might pickup. He enjoyed that it had a six screw bridge on it. But we're talking about Eddie here. Eddie can't leave anything alone. The man chases tone. The man loves to tweak. And so he actually pulls the neck off and puts a different maple neck with maple fretboard on there. One that is unfinished on the back. He also pulls off that chrome volume knob and ends up putting on a different one. He takes the bridge and puts on a Floyd Rose. He decides to take out that Mighty Might pickup and put in a DiMarzio Super Distortion. But when that wasn't good enough, he pulled that super distortion out, then changed out the Alnico 2 magnet for a Gibson magnet, then repotted the pickup by sticking it in paraffin wax and reinstalled it. Ultimately, he had a tone machine that he really, really enjoyed, but still had some issues with tuning. Now, you might wonder where that guitar is now, because we sure haven't seen it in a long time. Well, the reason why is actually a beautiful story. You see, back in 2004, we lost another rock and roll heavy metal icon. His name was Dimebag Daryl Abbott. He played with Pantera for about two decades. He was a part of his new band known as Damage Plan. While playing a concert, a crazed fan came up and shot him on stage. 
It was an unfortunate death that never should have happened, and unfortunately, the mental instability of this person caused him to believe that Pantera had been stealing songs from him for years, which of course we all know is not true. Now, Dimebag Daryl was an amazing guitar player, heavily influenced by Eddie Van Halen. They actually were a part of some tours together whenever they were out with Pantera and Van Halen. At some point, evidently, Dimebag Daryl had said to Van Halen, I would give you $30,000 if you will make me one of your striped guitars. And Eddie said, I'll make you one special someday. Of course, that day never really truly came. On the day of his funeral, Eddie Van Halen showed up and he was sharing a time with Zach Weil at the public memorial service. And he said, I'm here for the same reason as everyone else, to give some love back. This guy was full of life. He lived and breathed rock and roll. And then Eddie and Zach Weil took a shot of alcohol for their friend. Later on, one of the things that the family of Dimebag wanted was for him to be buried with a guitar. And Eddie provided a special striped guitar. That special striped guitar was his 1979 Bumblebee. And what he said was, an original should have an original. And Dimebag Daryl now resides with that guitar. As a side note, I do think it's worth mentioning that the day that Dimebag Daryl was shot senselessly was the 24th anniversary of the day that John Lennon was also shot senselessly. Just an interesting parallel. But the purpose of this therapy session is not to talk about all the tragedies that have occurred. Instead, it's to celebrate Eddie Van Halen. Now, someone I have talked about is Les Paul. And we talk about the innovation that that man had in producing an awesome guitar that we all tend to love. Now, of course, what we all loved about Les Paul was how much he loved to tinker with a guitar to make it better. Well, that's exactly what Eddie Van Halen was doing. One of the things Eddie loved to do was tinker with a guitar. I mean, this is the guy who would take pickups out and repot them and change out magnets. This is the guy who took out a normal, like, Strat-style bridge and decided to put in the Floyd Rose. Speaking of Floyd Rose, he's the guy who helped make, create, and patent the D-Tuna which basically takes a Floyd Rose that is stuck in a standard E-tuning and basically by the flick of a lever and the use of a fulcrum, changes it to drop D, which is an awesome thing to have if you're someone who likes to do some songs in standard E and then drop it for that low sound of a D like what you would find in metal guitar. Now, there's a number of other things that he did. Of course, if we look back at the Frankenstrat, he used to use a 1971 American Quarter, and he he actually drilled it into the body to be able to just kind of pivot and turn it and put it underneath his Floyd Rose to lock it down so that it would stay in tune. Of course, after a while, he got that thing finally figured out, and he didn't need it anymore. But he wanted to keep the quarter, so he just drilled in another hole so it would stay in that spot. Another thing he did to it was he decided that he wanted to use bike reflectors on the back of the guitar so that as the lights were hitting and he was on stage, he could just flip the guitar over 
and it would automatically have this like light reflection going all over the crowd. Another kind of cool thing he did was to make sure that the guitar was secured to his body. He ended up using these eye hooks and just like screwed them into the body so that he could just basically clamp the strap onto him to make sure that the guitar was secured. I'm not saying it was pretty. I'm saying it was innovative, and that's kind of fun. And actually, if you want to talk about having fun with people, he was tired of people imitating his guitar. He had all these manufacturers who were capitalizing on what he created. So he decided to just go ahead and put a pickup in the neck portion of his guitar and then put in some sort of a weird switch in where the middle pickup went. None of it was functional, but it sure was confusing to anyone trying to make a replica. Talk about wanting to screw with somebody. That's a good sense of humor. If you are looking for a way to help support the Tweed Couch and it costs no money to you, then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support. Now, of course, we realize that Eddie actually used other guitars as well. He didn't only have those Frankenstein guitars. Another guitar that he ended up using was an Ibanez Destroyer, which essentially was like a Gibson Explorer, except for the butt of the guitar kind of got sawed out and, well, it was made by Ibanez. And it sounded great, but of course, you could put anything in his hands and it would sound pretty awesome. All right, another guitar that he ended up using once he finally got later into the 80s was he started using Kramer. Now, Kramer guitars were pretty cool. He had this 5150 Beretta, which was white, black, and red, just similar to his Frankenstrat. And it was pretty cool in the fact that it had a similar Strat body, but it also had that, like, hockey stick headstock, much like an Explorer or his Ibanez Destroyer. When he got to the 90s, he ended up ending his deal with Kramer and decided to go with his string manufacturer. He started playing an Ernie Ball, Music Man, Axis. It was an excellent guitar, and I have played a number of them. They are a little bit smaller than what I'm used to. Like, just in feel, the body is small, the neck was a little bit thinner, and it just it felt good in my hands. The neck was kind of oiled, so it was really, really smooth and quick to use. It, it's a pretty awesome guitar. But by the mid-90s, he was ready to move on, and he started to use PV. Yeah, the sound company, right? So PV makes guitars as well, and they decided to partner up and make the Eddie Van Halen Wolfgang guitar. Now, the guitar is actually named after his son. So it's not the other way around. It's not his son is named after the guitar. It's that his guitar is named after his son. Now, what's the reason for Wolfgang, though? Well, it goes back to when he was a child. Remember, he was forced to kind of study and learn piano based off of Bach and Mozart. And so here he is now having a child, and he says... I want to name my kid in homage to Wolfgang Mozart. I think that's kind of cool. Anyway, back to the guitar. The Wolfgang is an 
excellent instrument, and it added that beautiful piece called the D-Tuna that I talked about earlier. And I've got to play a couple of them, and I was really close to purchasing one at one time, but ultimately, I ended up going a different direction. Now, PV actually had an endorsement deal with Eddie Van Halen, and of course, their marketing team, they knew how to pull the heartstrings of a guitar player. I'm going to read you their advertisement for the Wolfgang because I just think it's brilliantly written. It's one of those that after you get done reading it, if you're an Eddie Van Halen fan, you go, all right, just where do I write the check? I need one. Okay, so here's the advertisement. It says, for as long as I've been playing guitar, I've always been searching for a certain feel and tone. I've experimented by tearing apart and reassembling hundreds of guitars in different ways, searching for these qualities. Although I've ruined a lot of great guitars by having done this, I have learned what it takes to make a truly great guitar. The Wolfgang, after years of trial and error, for me, is that guitar. Our collective efforts in designing the Wolfgang guitar have resulted in a versatile, quality-crafted guitar that feels great, sounds great, and is truly inspiring to play. I've already put mine to the test in the studio and on tour, and now it's your turn. Whew. Now that is a good write-up for Eddie Van Halen. As his time with PV started to end, he decided that he was ready to just make his own guitars. Now Charvel, they ended up getting their hand back in the pot, and they started making some reissues and some replicas with his endorsement on it. And then finally, he got to the point in his career where he was able to be the owner and figurehead to be able to design, manufacture, and with the help of Fender, distribute his own gear, an EVH line. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the amplifiers of Eddie Van Halen. Of course, he had the brown sound that came from his Marshall Plexi amplifier. Turn it all the way to 10 make it fly. It was just excellent. Well, over time, he ended up going to a Saldano. Well, Saldano was a wonderful California manufacturer. Eventually, he wanted to get his own out there and get his own brand of amplifier. Now, PV, they made the 5150 head for him. It was high gain. It was articulate. They did a really good job of keeping the bias low so that it was easy to be able to manipulate the gain and be able to get dialed in just right. Now, of course, in Eddie's quest for tone, he made a 5150 version 2. And that version 2 added another preamp to it. It also changed the EQs. It allowed you to have separate EQ for your your clean channel or your gain channel. And it's honestly a really great head as well. Now, fast forward, He's now partnered up with Fender for distribution, but he has his own special brand, the EVH brand, and he now makes the 5150 version 3. A lot of it is very similar, um, and it is honestly a pretty cool amplifier on its own as well. Now, as we start to bring this session to a close, there's still a couple of questions that we need to answer. The first question that needs to be answered is, can Eddie Van Halen still affect the future of music? And that answer 
is a resounding yes. There is no way that his abilities, there is no way that his music, there is no way that his stamp on the music industry does not continue to affect the way that music goes in the future. The man has not only created instruments, innovations, amplifiers, but he's also created techniques and style and showmanship. Just like Jimmy Page and Eric Clapton changed the way that he viewed music, Eddie Van Halen has changed generations and how they view music. And he will continue to make that mark for a very, very long time. The second question that we need to answer is, what do we do now that he's gone? And the answer is, we rock on. Life is short. Now is the time to learn the solo. Now is the time to get the technique. Now is the time to hug the kids. Now is the time to love your significant other. Now is the time to do these things. And we never forget this amazing person known as Eddie Van Halen. Well, that concludes our session of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. My name is Dr. T, and remember, I'm not a licensed therapist, but I have fun talking gear. Until next time.